0: It's Thursday, April 21st. This is the Hermetic Hour. I'm your host, Poke Run. And tonight we present a dramatic reading of chapters five and six of the magical adventure novel, The Tomb of Prester John. In these chapters, we will follow Doc Roland and his beautiful lady archaeologist partner, Sophia Skandar, as they continue their crest for the vast treasure of the legendary priest king. In these episodes, they visit the Museum of Akazar, modern city of biblical theatria, and then they explore the catacombs under the ruins of Jezebel's church. With the ancient magic lantern called the Lamp of Truth, Sophie dances under the full moon to channel Jezebel's spirit, revealing her incredible secret. In the process, Doc discovers the secret of the lamp of truth and they return to their hotel and again meet Colonel Renda of Turkish security forces who informs them that they are involved in the gruesome murder of a female Turkish college student. Now, this is a magical tale on the James Bond and Indiana Jones model. Join us for high adventure. And I have a confession to make about this story. It's starting to write itself and uh i think tonight tonight's episode stops a little short of what we're saying in the abstract because the story was literally writing itself and and so therefore i am having the adventure which i am now relating to you this is this is an interesting thing uh with 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 novel novel writing and i've been novel writing for years and uh, what you find you find out when you get into this, when you get into novel writing, you create characters, and you try to make the characters do things they don't want to do, and they won't do it. And then, then, so, so, then at a certain point, you let them have their heads, and they let them write the story. And that is that is what we we have tonight. And so you can you can enjoy uh, an adventure um, that I enjoyed. Uh, in the previous in previous days, so we'll we'll get into it now. By the way, I'm I'm rereading chapter five, so you can catch continuity uh, from our last uh, uh, episode. And chapter five is preceded by by preliminary poetry. They say the lion and the lizard keep the courts where Yamshid gloried and drank deep, and Baram, that great hunter, the wild ass stamps o'er his head and he lies fast asleep, Omar Khayyam. Late that afternoon, they were driving by the ruins of the ancient White Castle from which Theatria got its name. It was now silhouetted against the golden orb of the dying sun and framed with cloud streaks of glowing purple and red. That sunrise is symbolic of the conflict between the Phoenician and Turkish dyers in Theatrius. Sophie observed. The Phoenician royal purple from the murex shell versus the Turkish red from the madder root, she explained. I wish I could stay with you and learn more about this, Colonel Renda said, but I'll have to leave you here. I'm going to Ankara to get to the bottom of this release of, the, of even Iblis. Then I'll launch a manhunt for him on a charge that will stick regardless of who he knows. Thanks, Nuri. Keep him off our backstock, said as they pulled up to the hotel, Colonel Renda let them, left them a parting gift. The Faden Hotel is not a bed and breakfast, Colonel Renda said. I suggest you take some of our baklava and a bottle of champagne for tomorrow morning, he said as they pulled up in front of the hotel. Their rooms in the Faden Hotel in Akazar offered a balcony view of the ruins of ancient Theatrium. No room service, but they did have coffee. What do you expect for $22 a night, Sophie commented. They opened the champagne and drank to Jezebel, refrigerating the bottle and the pastry for for tomorrow morning. Now give me a briefing on this operation tomorrow. I want the whole story. Was Mary Magdalene in the Nurex dye business? Of course she was, Sophie said. She was Jezebel. No wonder Jesus married her, Doc replied. She bankrolled his church. Oh, don't make it sound so shoddy. Remember Mohammed's wife, Fatima, was a camel merchant, and she financed Islam. I thought Mary was the woman crowned with the sun, Doc said. Well, she was that also. Revelation is not sequential, Sophie replied. Peace be upon them all, Doc added. Let's take it from the top, Scheherazade, he prompted her. Well, let's get comfortable first, she suggested, beginning a leisurely striptease, culminating in framing her body art masterpiece in a black silk kimono without a sash she curled up on one of the twin beds doc stripped to his skivvies sat down on the other bed and began his pipe-loading ritual say on my lady he said it has reached me auspicious king that the ancient anatolian city of theatria was a commercial center of cloth dyeing manufacture and export in the first century of the christian era. There were two rival establishments in this trade. The Phoenicians, who used their traditional purple dye from the murex shell, and the Anatolians, who employed the matter root for a more reddish dye, both were referred to in Revelation. The woman arrayed in purple and scarlet, Revelation chapter 17:4. The dye workers all belonged to a trade guild whose patron goddess was Venus, Roman version of a star tape. And an Anatolian patron sun god, Tyremos. The two rival companies were owned by two wealthy widows, who were both officers in the Dye Workers Guild and the New Christian Church. The Phoenician widow was Mary Magdalene, who was also called Jezebel in Revelation, a spirit day, and a spirit possessed damsel in the book of Acts, chapter 16, 14 18. The Anatolian widow was Lydia. Also mentioned the book of Acts. Mary's rival and a convert to Christianity under the influence of Paul of Tarsus. She had a commercial outlet and a home in Philippi across the Aegean Sea in Macedonia. Everything I have imparted thus far can be confirmed from research, but from this point onward, I must rely on my channeling of Mary herself, which I intend to resume with your help in the catacombs tomorrow evening. As if offering a preview of coming attractions, Sophie rolled toward Doc and presented a vision of the Hermetic Caduceus from Luna to Saturn before veiling her temple with a black silk kimono and continuing. The proctor of the church at Theatria was Theotis, a Phoenician Gnostic Christian and an early follower of Paul of Tarsus, who had switched his Christian allegiance to Mary Magdalene. Paul had exerted a strong early influence on Theodas, but when the native of Tyre met the Phoenician widow of the Christ and heard his teachings from her own lips, he realized that women had souls and incorporated the pagan sacred marriage into his Gnostic version of Christianity, which he passed on to his successor, Valentinus. Theodos and married together Tried to convince Paul that the former Pharisee despised women as the origin of sin and considered them soulless appendages of the male species. Paul refused to accept Mary as the widow of the Savior and reminded Theotis that even if Magdalene had been the Master's concubine, she had still been possessed by demons and could not be trusted. Theotis reminded Paul that he had never been with Christ in the flesh or heard the teachings that Mary had received firsthand. He and Mary would return to Theatria and preach the sacred marriage as the true sacrament of Christianity. Jezebel, Paul named her, you would preach fornication, adultery, and blasphemy. He turned to Lady Lydia, Mary's business rival in Theatria, whom Paul had recently baptized a Christian. Surely you do not condone this, sister. Lydia had turned loving eyes on Paul. We will remove the idol of the Sidonian abomination from the guild hall, my lord. Only fish will be served at banquets, and no licentious behavior will be permitted. Theotis and Mary agreed on removing the idols from the guild hall, but only if both images were, dep- were deposed. They had previously justified keeping Venus and Tyremos as counterparts of Christ and Mary. Paul had said that the statue of Tyremos could be baptized to represent the Christ, but the abomination of the Sidonians had to go. In deference to Mary, Theotis refused. You will read of the Lord's displeasure in this, I promise you, Paul declared. You have written in my husband's name for too long, Paul of Tarsus, Mary replied. It is time for his true gospel to be preached and written, and we shall preach and write it, even as it was revealed unto us by the Lord himself before and after his untimely passing. You would make a morbid, bloody sacrament of his death where he intended us to make a sweet and loving celebration of the uniting of the two souls in marriage, even as I was reunited with him in the wedding at Cana. We have heard a similar story for Simon Magus about the harlot he found at a Tyrean brothel. He called her the fallen thought of God, Paul muttered. You are from Tyre, aren't you, Mary, he asked. Mary was disturbed by this. Otis put a protective arm around her. He answered for her. I am from Tyre. Mary is from Magdala in Galilee. But she is of the, the line of King Hiram of Tyre from the days of King Solomon. Was she ever called Helen or the fallen thought of God? Paul's expression was predatory. Mary looked into Theodos' eyes with an uneasy expression. Do I have to answer these questions, she asked? Well, he is our bishop, Theodos reminded her. I have been called the fallen thought of God, she said. Do you know Simon Magus, Paul asked. Well, we both know him, she answered. You and Theodos, Paul questioned. She shook her head, myself and the Lord Jesus. Theodos added, I know Simon through his book, The Great Announcement paul fixed the otis with a vicious stare who gave you a copy of that rubbish paul demanded i did your grace mary admitted i thought it was beautiful jezebel paul muttered giving mary an even more vicious look and that ends my recollections o auspicious king sophie concluded with tears welling in her eyes i don't know who i am and i don't know who i was she cried Well, don't get confused, Sophie. Remember, you told me that Khalil had you channeling Simon's Helen. You're just getting your archetypes mixed up, Doc explained. Sophie wasn't buying Doc's Jungian platitudes. She wanted Freudian lechery. Paul was right. Khalil was right. Crowley was right. I'm a whore. The sacred marriage is an orgy, and I am what I am. You're not Popeye, Doc declared. Why why would I be Popeye, she asked. Because he says I am what I am and that's all I am. They both started laughing, sputtering Popeye jokes until they were almost hysterical. She wrapped her legs around him and declared he's strong to the finish because he eats his spinach. Is Popeye the sailor man? Doc finished. Sophie kissed him and he responded. She hugged him close and whispered in his ear. Thanks for not taking me too seriously. We needed a good laugh. She snuggled against him and whispered again. Do you know the secret of the Ninth Gate? I thought it was the engraving of the woman on the seven-headed dragon in Reverdy's in book, Doc said. She sat back on her haunches and arched her back facing him, looking down at him from between the uplifted mounds of her breasts. It's the Enneagram, see? You mean the Enneagram, Doc corrected, looking at the nine-pointed star tattooed in purple ink on Ramon's venerius. Look again, it's an Enneagram, nine points open at the bottom, the ninth gate, she declared. Doc realized that there was no point in putting her off any longer. Let's finish that champagne tonight, he suggested. An hour later, they were both in bed under the sheet, smoking her cigarettes in the American after-sex ritual. Sophie was crying again. What's the matter now, Doc asked. I am what I am, and it's not funny, she snuffled. And the sacred marriage is what it is. Well, I was strong to the finish, Doc said. Oh, stop it, she snapped at him. I'm being serious. About what? Gnostic Christianity? Yes. How much of Valentinius is Simon? And how much of Mary's gospel is Simon? And how much of Mary Magdalene is Simon or Helen? Now, you stop it, Doc snapped at her. We can play this game all night. Anthropological scrabble. Mary has seven powers. Simon has seven powers. Santeria has seven powers. Glory astrology has seven planets, and so does Kabbalah, and so does Jesus, for Christ's sake. The sacred marriage is supposed to unite soulmates, she said, but instead it perpetuates ancient pagan temple prostitution. Well, I agree with you there, Doc said, but in ancient times the temple prostitute represented the goddess. That was what Valentinus used as his model. And remember, Simon used the Garden of Eden as a macrocosmic model for the female womb. But but you do believe that marriage unites and completes the divided soul, don't you, Doc? She asked. Well, ideally it should, but in reality most marriages are not undertaken for the kind of love that unites two halves of the same soul. Valentinius knew that only God and man shared the creative process, and that only in unison could a man and a woman emulate God, hence the sacred marriage and the union of souls. But like so many other beautiful ideas in early Christianity, it's been corrupted and perverted. Do you think we can ever sanctify it again? Doc kissed her nose. Let's sleep on it, he suggested. The next morning, over a breakfast of coffee and leftover baklava, Sophie outlined the day's activities. We can walk to the museum through the old Roman Forum. The building was a junior high school before it became a museum in 2012, primarily archaeology. They have a lot of material from the Roman period. Our contact is Iona Erzan. She's a grad student from Istanbul Tech, interning here at the Akazara Museum. I've been corresponding with her. She's a very bright scholarship student. She's from an Armenian family of secret Christians. She can get us into the catacombs under the old church. She's expecting us to meet her at the museum at 10 o'clock this morning. So bring everything we need in your backpack. She had slept late and was wearing only her sashless black kimono. Was already dressed for exploring the catacombs. Khaki shirt and cargo pants, desert boots, dust jacket and boonie hat. His 9 millimeter brownie was nestled in his shoulder rig beneath his left armpit. He lifted a well-stuffed rucksack from under the table. I'm bringing everything whether we need it or not. We can't leave anything in the rooms with Khalil on the loose, Doc said. Even clothes. Poisoning garments is the latest terrorist technique. Sophie looked at her watch. It's a 10-minute walk from here in the museum. We better get going. I'll get dressed. Did you pack my field gear? It's laid out on the bed, Doc said. I couldn't find your underwear. You know I never wear underwear, she said in a husky voice. As she lifted the kimono off her shoulders and let it drop, she turned her back to him. Khalil wanted me to have the demons of the cliff off tattooed down my spine, from all to the nape of my neck down to Lilith. Maybe I should have. Do you think so? She asked him. Doc ran his forefinger down her spine from her neck to the small of her back. She purred like a kitten. He slapped her on the buttock. Use that bad girl energy to get dressed for running late. Fifteen minutes later, they were walking through the old Roman room forum with cameras hanging around their necks to make them look more like backpacking tourists than military mercenaries. Sophie's outfit was similar to Doc's, though tailored for a shapely lady. Her only adornment was a pair of star and crescent earrings, which twinkled golden against her purple neck scarf. A flash of light from the forum wall caught Doc's attention. Someone with a telephoto lens just took a picture of us. Don't look. Ignore it. They reached the museum without further incident. Shortly after 10 a.m., they were meeting Iona Erzan at the Roman period exhibit she was a tall dark-haired young woman in blue jeans and a camera vest welcome to the remains of theatria she said gesturing to the display cases after the introduction she said i do the tours on friday permit me to practice my english on you proceed doc said she directed them to a case displaying coins legend has it that money coinage was invented in greece by king midas of the golden touch by his queen actually but coinage really Came into use here in Anatolia during the Hellenistic period when many of the local pagan gods were given Greek counterparts. Here you see coins stamped with the effigies of Heracles, counterpart of the Phoenician Melchart, and Apollo, counterpart of the Lydian sun-god Tyremos. Sophie interrupted. The patron god of the Matter-root Dyer's Guild. Yes, Aonid agreed. And we have a statuette of him in the next display. She led them to a case displaying a brown statuette of a horseman with a double-headed axe looming over the figurine of a goddess, which she identified as Boratani, counterpart of the Phoenician Astarte. Patron goddess of the purple Murex dyers, Sophie commented, Turkish red versus Phoenician purple. Sophie aimed her camera at the display. Is that what you're researching, Dr. Iskandar? Iona asked. The whole history of Phoenician influence in Anatolia, Sophie replied. Perfectly symbolized by those beautiful earrings, Doctor, Iona said. Sophie smiled in reply. Glad you liked them. I thought they were appropriate for the occasion. Before they had visited all 11 rooms of the museum, Doc suggested setting out for the church and the catacombs. The ancient ruins of the church were visible through a clutter of broken pillars and building stones. Huge walls of ritual rock. Mortared together with a small vaulted entrance, a door frame without a door. You'll need lights, Ziona said. I've got headlamps in the pack, but this will do for now, Doc said, clicking on a powerful tactical flashlight, illuminating a vast and bare interior. That stairwell over there by the north wall leads down to the catacombs, Ziona told him. I'll have to leave you now. Please check back with me at the museum when you return. And please photograph artifacts in situ, and let us photocopy your notes. Iona, thank you so much for your help, Sophie said. I would like to give you something in return. Would you like these earrings of mine? They were not expensive, but they would would look good on you. Oh, I couldn't, she stammered, but Sophie was already putting them on. Thank you, Dr. Iskandar, I will treasure them. Sophie gave her a hug, and they parted. Iona Erzan made her way back toward the museum while Doc was getting his headlamps out of the rucksack. The stairwell led down to a wide vaulted gallery with walls that had once been decorated with frescoes, which had since been defaced and overlaid with graffiti. The artwork had been Byzantine in Byzantine style, showing the haloed Christ and a priestess, obviously the sacred marriage, Sophie said, as she took a panorama of flash photos. It would take six months' work down here to restore this. The vandalism was probably done after Revelation was circulated, Doc suggested. Now, what are we looking for? The tomb of Theotis, she said, gesturing to a dark archway. The vandals might have desecrated it, but I don't think they would have destroyed it. How much do you know about Theotis, Doc asked. That's what we'll find out tonight with the aid of the lamp of truth and a full moon, she replied. I meant, how much does Dr. Sophie Iskandar know about Theodos? He was a physician and a philosopher from Laodicea here in Anatolia. He converted to Christianity and joined the Laodicean church mentioned in Revelation. He knew Paul and in later life mentored Valentinus. He eventually became the bishop of Theatria. He was the lover and the sponsor of Jezebel. Doc glanced at his watch. It was 7 o'clock already. Let's try to find it before the moon rises. And speak of that, how are we going to see the moon down here in the underworld? There is a gallery with a natural skylight, she said, perfect for a sacred dance. Two hours later, they found the tomb of Theodos. His mummified body was in a stone sarcophagus with his effigy carved on the lid. They slid it off with a terrible squeaking sound and managed not to drop it with considerable effort. The nude body was intact, the skin shriveled and dark brown, the skull covered with wrinkled parchment, and the eye sockets filled with polished crystal balls. But the most surprising thing about this corpse was its erect genitalia. That's not natural, Doc said. The corpse was prepared that way, Sophie replied. For a reason, Sophie said. She raised her hands in the ancient adoration gesture and chanted, and then reached down into the coffin and lifted the palace up to eye level as she whispered, Isis, Apophis, Osiris. Doc stood by in amazement, thinking, what are we in for tonight, he wondered. And that's the end of chapter 6. So, comment on that. You can see why this, why I said this, this story is writing itself. and, and, and I'm looking forward to the next chapter just as much as you probably are, and and what we, and and really I, and I, I I will frankly admit I'm a little embarrassed by it, but but it is it's ready get, this this is what the characters want to do and this is the way the story's going, so we'll see next next time it won't be next week and I, I'm going to need a little more time uh, to uh, get this get this written, but uh, uh, that's where we're at right now. And uh, I invite you to do some research on Theatria and on Lycurgusia and on Valentinian and Theodas really was the mentor of Valentinus and this is a fascinating subject and so next week we'll be back with another uh, Hermetic mystery not perhaps this one but this will take a little more while to get this 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 one ready.